Good morning, everyone. It's uh, Saturday morning. I'm here at the at the store at Fleet Feet Ballard. It's raining outside, and um, we've had a pretty nice run of weather here in Seattle. It's definitely been very spring-like, where um, overcast, maybe showering one minute, sunny and hot the next, and looks like both today and tomorrow are going to be rain, and then I honestly haven't even looked into next week. Andrea and the kids and I... Um, last night went out to, uh, we went up to Jackson Park in North Seattle and played, um, they have a little executive nine par three course there and Jack and Amalia have, I'm not really entirely sure where, but starting last summer they got, Jack especially got pretty into golf. And so, um, so we went out and played and a lot of other people seem to have the same idea because it was pretty crowded, but being outside, there was really no issue in um, being able to space out and stuff. So that was great. Um, you know, it's nice to start doing some slightly more normal activities. And I, I just, I really hope that, that we can continue to incorporate more and more normalcy without seeing big spikes in COVID-19 cases. Um, and I'm sure that's what everyone hopes. And uh, it's really interesting to me right now. I was talking to um, a friend and we were discussing, you know, just the different perceptions of the virus. Uh, even here probably in Seattle, but certainly like when you look geographically across the nation, uh, and then, you know, you have medical doctors, certainly not the, the majority, but, you know, skilled professional experts um, that, you know, some have contrary beliefs and opinions about the virus and how it should be handled. And, and I, I've probably mentioned this here before, but I've never felt so conflicted in terms of what the right course of action is. One, and I, I will say that I'm definitely more on the side of, hey, we've got to keep the body count down. We've got to protect people. But I also understand, especially having two businesses myself or one business in two locations, I really understand the importance of getting the economy restarted again. Um, I understand those that are really, you know, there's a lot of trepidation about getting back out and um, getting in a group of any kind, um, you know, outside of whatever your household situation is. Um, so, you know, who knows what the right answer is? And I I guess ultimately the reason there are so many different opinions on this from even quote unquote experts, it really just goes to show how little anyone truly understands um, about this virus and you know even how it's spread and what its effects are. You know, it's nerve wracking now to hear that there's actually kids that are showing effects from it after exposure, 
Uh, yeah, it's brutal. Um, but I guess it's, um, especially being on sort of, at least here in the U.S., kind of being on the more conservative side of things in terms of how we're going about reopening and stuff. I'm just, I'm very curious. I'm thankful to be in that situation uh, where we can kind of play the wait and see approach. And I guess on some level, you know, again, I, I hope it doesn't come at any tremendous um, health cost, but I'm, I am thankful that there are parts of the country that have moved forward just so we are able to see what, what that does. And, um, again, you know, this is a pretty selfish mindset to have, I suppose, but I'm, um, I'm thankful that we're hopefully by the time our stores are open and that initial op that initial opening is going to be by appointment only, it's going to be really, um, much more restrictive than, than our uh, open hours have ever been. But when that day does come, and it seems as though it's going to be June 1st or slightly thereafter, there should be, you know, three, four weeks of data from states and cities that have, you know, been more on the leading edge of this. And and I just really hope we'll have some better sense of of what the of what the trajectory of the virus is in those places that have reopened. Um, it'd be great to know that places are reopening and they're not seeing a surge in cases and potentially even a decline. Uh, yeah, it's just. There's just so much out there right now. I feel like I'm rambling right now, which I am. It's just, it's so tough to, um, you know, one minute I'll hear one thing and it's super dire and I, I get really bummed about it and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're taking the wrong course of action. And then the next day I hear something else and I think, oh no, this is the right thing. And I guess it makes me feel like, or sound anyways, like I'm weak and whichever way the wind's blowing is the way I'm going. I, I don't believe that, but I... I have no, no understanding of how, you know, I, I want to rely on experts in this because I know nothing about it. So, you know, I certainly know something about running a business and the importance of generating uh, revenue and all that. But I really do think, you know, the virus clearly doesn't care whether the economy is up and running or not. Like it's going to do what it's going to do. And I just hope that the, the experts on the virus can get us all going in the right direction where we can get over this as quickly as possible. Um, the other thing that's really just kind of interesting to me is all the various timelines you hear, and maybe this is my problem, maybe I just need to go to one source to get all my, my data and... And for the most part, honestly, I don't seek a lot of stuff out. I'll kind of scroll through my headlines. I might, Andrea might share a story with me. And so I, I'm definitely not 
I, I'm really actually isolating myself for the most part, I would say, from the news. Like, I don't want to be in the dark completely, but I don't deal well with um, an inundation of news stories and being just hyper focused on it. And I, I'm not, I don't blame anyone who is that, but I don't understand for me, the benefit of just hyper-focusing on, on every news story. Um, I, I had a thought that where I was going with that, and now I've lost it. Um, huh. Yeah, just completely, <laughs> completely gone. Anyhow, uh, oh, I know what I was talking about. It was just the, the different thoughts on vaccines and when... when when and if that might happen. And uh, it would sure be great to get a vaccine sooner than later, obviously. But I was, um, I was talking to someone the other day, and they're not a doctor, but they made the case that, you know, there's no vaccine for SARS or MERS or any of these um, respiratory, um, I can't think of the term, the medical technical term. But anyways, these respiratory diseases, there is no um, vaccine for the others. So why would we be able to develop a vaccine for this one? And that was the first time I'd heard that argument and whether there's any foundation for that or not, I don't know, but this person is intelligent and well-read and I thought, geez, um, you know, I've heard anything from four months to two years, but I hadn't heard that, you know, there potentially might not be a vaccine because we've never been able to create a a vaccine for these other, um, I guess they're all in the coronavirus family maybe, um, but these respiratory viruses. So, so that's, um, alarming. And, uh, anyways, I just, I appreciate the ability to come into work and to focus on just treating each day, come in, make my list of Okay, I've got X number of curbside orders. I've got this many e-com orders to fulfill. I've got virtual fits at this time, this time, and this time, and maybe even this time. I'm going to answer the phone in between. I really, it's interesting how I've just gotten to taking things pretty much day by day. Um, I've started to reach out to staff about coming back and what that's going to look like as we near, as we get nearer to phase two. So th there is still some looking ahead, but um, it, it's honestly, I, it's hard to look too far ahead just because things are changing so rapidly. Speaking of, Tianoa has definitely been a topic of conversation lately um, for good reason. You know, there's people that want a race to run. There's training that has to happen leading up to that. There is volunteer organization to be done. There's um, a permit to actually get it from the USFS. Of course, the that application was all submitted way back in September of 2019, just post-race. Um, but they don't, they don't issue those permits until you get much nearer the event. And I, I think in July, the last two years is when I've been actually issued my permit for TNOA. But I, I honestly, um, yeah, that I'm really kind of 
oscillating on that too. It's like one day I'll feel pretty confident. It's like, wow, you know, there's no, there might not be an easier place in the state to socially distance than in the Tiana way. Um, and yet then I think then the next day it's like, yeah, but think of all the people that are at the, the iron peak aid station at the Beverly bean aid station between the aid station volunteers and the crew and the pacers and the spectators. And even last year in a, by all accounts, normal year, at least in terms of non, it was a non-viral year, um, wasn't normal with the weather that we were experiencing, a crazy thunderstorm and whatnot and lightning and flash flooding concerns. But um, I was already feeling like, we're going to have to make some changes to crew access because for, for the race, it's fine. But for anyone who's just a, a user of the trails that doesn't want anything to do with the race or potentially doesn't know a race is happening and then shows up on the race weekend, I could see where it, the race could put a very negative taste in someone's mouth just based on the number of people and really just the congestion on a couple of those forest service roads. So, so that was already on my mind. And then now that we are where we are, where social distancing is, um, become so prevalent and so practiced and so necessary, you know, I could go back and look at some photos, I'm sure from Iron Peak and Beverly Bean and, you know, as we all kind of do now, it's like, oh my gosh, look at, you know, like, like it seems so foreign, even though it was less than, it was what, nine months ago, um, that we would all be right on top of one another like that. So, so then it's like, well, could we, could we have aid stations with just a couple people and maybe there are, they live in the same household or if not, there's so few of them, they couldn't, it wouldn't be a challenge to keep six feet and it's outside. So there's that. Um, and then maybe we say, Hey, there's actually for the 2020 race, there's no crew. And so we have more drop bag options. Um, because I really, the runners themselves will have no problem keeping six feet. They probably could keep a hundred feet if that was necessary. Um, Obviously, there tend to be clumps of runners that end up together and sort of, um, you know, rely on one another. It's a total tangent, but some of the, you know, some of your best friends are the people that you meet <laughs> mid-event when you're struggling and you're kind of, you're going through similar things and, and all of a sudden you spend six hours running with a total stranger and by the end of it, you're great friends. Um so I know that stuff happens and, but really there's no, there's no problem in my mind of keeping six feet or even, you know, think about even running with a friend, like a close friend or a group of friends out on the trail. I bet we very rarely run closer than six feet. I mean, sure. There's times where you stop and congregate and maybe high five or, or whatever. But when you're actually running, Six feet is really, it's not that far. 
So just think about, like if you're really on a single track trail and you're running much closer than six feet to somebody, you're, you're probably too close to them anyways, just in terms of, you know, you one, you never want somebody just breathing down your neck. And two, you know, if they were to trip and fall or whatever, you want to have that space so you're not kicking them as they're falling over and then you're tripping and going down too. So, so the six feet for the runners, I think is a moot point. The fact that it's outside helps tremendously. The fact that we're talking maybe a hundred runners also seems totally practical. We're not talking about 10,000 or, or even a thousand. Um, also to me, the start, the start of a hundred miler is ceremonial. Like there's no, it's not a track race where every, every millimeter of positioning counts or, um, yeah, it just, you know, nobody's, I, I don't imagine anyone's going to have a hard time giving six feet between a hundred runners. And if you cross the finish line, potentially two or three minutes behind, even three minutes seems like that that's more time than it would take. But even if you were a couple minutes behind at the start, it's a hundred miles and there's 40 hours to finish it. And so what, what is two minutes, um, or three minutes or even five minutes. So, um, and I, I think people would be more than willing to, uh, to potentially kind of queue up like, Hey, if you're here to race, let's let these people take the, the front as much as the front as there is, let's all set six feet back of them. They're going to give each other six feet, but you could totally like, there's people that show up to race a hundred miles and to win it or to try and win it. And there's those, the majority that are showing up to finish. And I don't think those that are looking to finish are going to care about whether somebody got a better, you know, Oh, they were 18 feet ahead of me at the start or whatever. Like, I don't think that's an issue. I really don't. Um, the camping situation at the Salmon Lasac snow park seems like, um, as long as the forest service would allow it, I wouldn't be concerned about that. Most of the people that are there camping together are, you know, in a relationship, they live together, their family, whatever it is, they're, they're going to be within six feet of each other, probably outside of the race too. It's not like the, the race is necessarily bringing them to within six feet of one another. Um, so I, you know, I've put another email out to my forest service contact. I was texting a little bit with uh, rich white who puts on the cascade crest and I guess a little bit like places in the country that are opening up now ahead of Seattle, there's races that are on the calendar before TNOA. Um, Hard Rock, I think, has said that they're going to make a call by May 31st. And then locally, Cascade Crest is a couple weeks before our event, and they're going to make a call before us. So we'll have some... Um, some other more seasoned um, races un that are under great leadership that are gonna, in some ways, kind of 
the writing will be on the wall with those events, especially Cascade Crest because it's here in Washington. We have the same Forest Service contact and permit issuer. And um, yeah, so, you know, so much of this is going to be dictated really by the Forest Service and what their restrictions or lack of restrictions are. And, uh, and then our ability to, to be confident that we can put on a safe event. And, and I, I really am pretty confident of that. Um, you know, I mean, you think about, yeah, the, I'm just kind of like going on a little jag now and thinking out loud, but if you think about true danger, I I really think that though it was sort of an unavoidable danger, I think, um, there were maybe some storms in the forecast, but nothing, nothing like what it turned out to be last year was in the forecast or we've, we would have had, um, maybe I guess what we would have done is if we really thought there was a concern of flash flooding or the kind of lightning strikes that we were seeing in the Tianaway last year, we would have communicated to runners like, Hey, we're going to start this assuming we were comfortable with that, which I think we would have been. I mean, we, we were comfortable with starting, um, even with the forecast that morning, there was nothing pointing toward the kind of severity and weather we saw, but, um, we would have started and we would have told runners we're going to start. But I think the only difference had we known that the weather was going to do that or could potentially do that, um, because it's weather we, we can predict it, but we can't definitively know what it's going to do. We, the only difference is we probably would have told runners like, Hey, there is a chance that we're going to have to pull the plug on the race. And that is what it is. Like there's no, Hey, if you're equipped to go with this stuff, or if you have this much experience, um, so that, that's the only thing I think we would have done differently. But I guess my point there is that, and again, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so I, I'm talking way out of line here, but it would seem to me that last year's conditions that runners were facing, some runners, not all, depends kind of on where you were in the course, but lightning strikes on an open ridge line and potential for hypothermia from torrential rain and and even just the like having to pack up in the middle of the night and drive back to the start to make sure everyone's accounted for the um which again I, I like I believe that was the only call to make but all of those things like I just know myself driving that night how tired I felt and you know that's a very risky situation to put myself in other drivers in anyone that was in the vehicle with me and you know i was confident that i could do it but it definitely was not me at my sharpest behind the wheel and so in a lot of ways i think you know we got through that and i would never want to experience that again it was maybe the most stressful thing i've ever experienced but that still seems a lot more dangerous to me than starting a race knowing that there is you know a virus that we're all afraid of and trying to steer clear of and having 
the proper protocol in place to mitigate that risk and minimize it as much as possible. I mean, the reality is, is whether it's running a business and reopening before the, the virus is completely out of our society or running a hundred mile trail race, even in a non virus year, there, there is nearly everything we do in life has some just inherent risk. And I guess it's all a matter of how much risk we're comfortable in taking. And I, I'm a very risk averse individual and, um, probably overly cautious. And even saying that, um, I think there's a way that I could feel comfortable putting on the TNOA country 100 this year. Um, again, like just kind of where things are at right now, like, you know, if there was another huge spike in cases or something, this is all, this is all hypothetical, but I really do think that there is a way that we can safely put on the race if everything keeps moving in the direction it is right now where cases are, you know, if they're growing, it's, you know, it's the, the rate of growth is slight and, and, you know, if the order was the, the way we beat this is for us all to just continue to shelter in place, businesses aren't going to open. We just have to, then that's, that is what it is. And I'd be fine with that if that's the best available, um, plan of attack, you know, sort of no one's going to be in consensus on that. But if the majority of our best and brightest minds are saying that's the way to go, then by all means. But if we are reopening and things, if people are able to go and eat in restaurants with social distancing and stores are open with social distancing, I don't believe that there's any way there's, I don't believe there's any reason we should not also be able to put on our hundred mile event it's a different environment, certainly, but I don't see that being any more risky than going and having a a meal at a restaurant. And um, I guess that's ultimately where things are at in my head. Like, I think if we're allowed to do those things, and again, I'm not trying to make an excuse to be able to be allowed to do put on a race, but if under the the governor's orders, if it's allowed, I'm confident we can do it as safely as possible, as safely as any of those other things that are also reopening. And I guess that's where I stand on it. So um, I've got to get back to work here at the store. But uh, I know I've been pretty uh, hit and miss with <laughs> podcasting of late. And uh, man, my running is taking a little hit this week, too. It's... um just a little overuse thing on my left foot, but I've rested it the last three days with just minimal, minimal running and it's feeling much better. So um, PSA to all of you out there that are maybe dealing with a little soft tissue injury. I know it's so hard because you want to just keep going and you feel like I've worked so hard now to take three or four days off. Like that's going to set me back so far. You're going to be set back much further Take it from somebody who's had their share of injuries and 20 years of running. And I know there's plenty of people that have way more than 20 years of running too. So I'm not saying like, 
I'm the end all be all expert, but, um, a little rest goes a long way. And I, I was lucky early on in my career. I didn't have a lot of, I had kind of a nagging Achilles injury that thankfully, um, I just made, managed to, um, it just kind of maintained. It never got worse. It never really got much better until I would take off a little time in October, November before gearing up again for the next year. But it never, it never shelved me. But you know that same injury now at forty-one, I guess closer now to forty-two. You know, I would definitely shut it down more. And so, I guess just know your body and. Um, I'm pretty confident that if I had just continued to run through this top of foot pain I've been having on the left foot, it would have just resulted in a week off or, or 10 days off. And then if I, you know, like at some point the, I would trade taking three days off for 10 days off is what I'm getting at. So know your body, know, know your recovery and, um, and you know, none of us right now have anything immediately on the race horizon. So now's the time to, to take care of yourself and get right for when that day does roll back around. All right. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see if I can get another one out tonight or tomorrow. In the meantime, take care, be well, stay safe, be kind to one another, keep running and, uh, get outside. Clearly that's, um, it's an important place to be right now. Get some sun, get outside, take your vitamin D either, you know, I, I like a, now, look at me. Now I'm giving uh, my supplemental advice. Um, I take a, uh, like a liquid vitamin D, but you know, get outside and soak up vitamin D the natural way too. Um, be well. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks.